That's the week of the twenty fifth. Every day is a weekday of worship. <laughs> when you say weekday of the twenty fifth, do you? I think like beginning of the week starts. The so 25th. is that Sunday or Monday? For Sunday, you? Sunday, Sunday. So Sunday was like the twenty second, huh? Sunday was like the twenty second. So mm, was it? it would be the week of the twenty second. Yeah, you're right. Not you're the right. Week you're of the right. Twenty second. <laughs> I'm discombobulated. You're, you're you're all over the place. Yes. Yes. How are things? Things are well. Things are well. Yeah. How are things? Things are good. <laughs> things, <laughs> Is things. it things are well or things are good? Things What's are, proper? I think things are good. Sounds right to me. We're going to have to check it's that. It's funny because as a, as a guy who, like as a journalism major and uh-huh. an English student, a writer, whatever, all those things that I would fancy myself at some level, uh, I'm terrible grammatically. Are you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just... I, I still my dad still incessantly corrects me on me versus I and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and I'm mm-hmm. like I just I'm like I don't know I just say what sounds right yeah <laughs> and that that leads me to the wrong places much of the time well so, well somebody can correct all of our grammar send us their notes yeah on these podcasts yeah Alex Ellis and Samantha Hammett I'm sure will be sending their diligently notes diligently taking notes yeah. on our grammatical with, errors with plenty of dangling modifiers and such. Dangling modifiers? Yeah. That's a, that's a sin? <laughs> yeah. You can't have a dangling you know, modifier, You know what bro. the big sin in writing is, like, for me? It's split infinitives. Split infinitives. Yeah. Look for, it up. For example. No, it's like, hard let's pretend, let's pretend for a second I didn't know what you were talking about. It's like putting a uh, an adjective in between your infinitive. Uh-huh. Uh, and what's an adjective again? We're boring people. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I shouldn't even have said that. Split infinitives. Yes, look it up. Big okay. sin. Yeah, a lot, lot, lot of fury comes from an editor's pen when you put down a mm, uh, a lot of red ink spilled over that infinitive. Yes. Um, you're still in that phase of like writing papers, though. Um, I will probably be in that phase my entire life. Oh, going yeah, I forward guess, here. I guess if you're going to be a PhD, <laughs> yeah, I'm done with papers, man. Huh? I'm done with papers. Okay, if you want to call. I mean, writing sermons is writing a paper. Just you're I'm not, not doing sure. any grammar on it. No, it's no. very much a you write you write to speak. Yeah, which is very different. Hundred percent. It actually different. makes you a bad writer because you, like trying to do they're very different things. Oh yeah. Like you can really make a mess of things if you try to do the same thing. But yeah, to be sure. Um, anything new going on in your uh, world? There's always new things. Yeah. Yeah. What's the latest funniest thing that the Kuiper latest funniest thing that Kuiper has done? Oh, I don't know. Or developmental thing that Kuiper's into? I don't know. That's a really on the spot question. I know. I'm sorry. It, you want to move to our content? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have no banter my, in us asking today. We're bantered it. out. Yeah. We've already spoken enough this week that there's there's no impromptu banter happening here. No, no. Impromptu. I'm tempted to restart the show. Well, some people love it, are, are like they're going to like that. Yeah, there are some people. Even who though, are. by doing no banter, we probably rattled off here a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, literally nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Should we start over? Welcome to weekday worship. So the Oxford Dictionary says a split infinitive is. 
What are we talking about today, James? Today we are talking about your sermon from Sunday. Yes. We're going to piggyback on that. Yes. In an application-focused way? Yeah. Ish. Yeah, you were supposed to think of something. I was? Yeah. That's what... I, I, I misunderstood the assignment. <laughs> could you ask? Could you restate the question? Uh, <laughs> what were the three points of the sermon and its subpoints? The three points of the sermon and its subpoints. Trick question. There was none. I don't think you had any. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say. I was thinking. Of, it no, was very narratival. Points. Yeah. <laughs> narratival. Yeah. Interesting word. Yeah. Okay. I can make up words if I want. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've been accused of this as well. Um, by the aforementioned Alex Ellis and Samantha Hammett specifically. Well, you know what? The the language police. Um. Yeah. So you I, you're the you're the show host. You're the uh, prepper. Okay. I'll talk for forty minutes. Okay. I'll be here and add comment occasionally. Mm. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about. Uh, I don't know, just thinking about application from the sermon, because I didn't do a lot of that, and that was particularly, that was on purpose, because I wanted to have time to really see the narrative um, and the theme of idolatry in the background of uh, the the truth that God is one and what that uh, kind of, how that centers everything for the people of God. And uh, particularly the the theme of we become what we worship, mm. which I'm actually going to talk about more positively here in a couple of weeks when it comes to to God. Uh, but but I found a lot of people really, uh, they were really kind of, they were like, I, I've never seen that. Mm-hmm. I've really got to go home and think about that for myself, like in terms mm-hmm. of not is it real in the Bible, but like what does that mean for me? Yeah. Like what is that? How do I, how do I think about that in my own life? Well, and, which... Uh, I mean, we've talked about that very phrase yes. over the course of this year's, the seasons of, of podcasts. Like in the, I think back all the way back to the first part of the season when we talked about worship um, as the first spiritual practice and back in August, we, we talked a lot about this. You see some of the things that have been on our minds and hearts starting to weave together mm-hmm. um, over the last few months, particularly on the the, the, the ideas around our fundamental stories that we're living out of and how they affect uh, what we do, how we're being shaped, how we're being formed. A lot of that kind of cultural work that we've been talking about, I I was this week trying to draw it out from the Bible in its Mm -hmm. own narrative, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, particularly in the idea of what you believe about the oneness of God and uh, what that means for our lives and how the rejection of that is not a neutrality. It's actually turning to another whole system of worship uh, that is uh, we're not shaping, but we're actually being shaped by. Yeah. Um, around the theme of idolatry. Yeah. So, like, we've talked about that idea of becoming what we worship, but uh, like, I, uh, the the connection of God's repeated sort of um, insight. That the the way that he describes those of us who have given ourselves over to idols mm-hmm. and have not continued to worship Yahweh, as having ears but not hearing, having yeah. mouths but not talking, having eyes but not seeing, mm-hmm. like that being descriptive of the very thing an idol is. That's how Isaiah describes idols, right? 
So that 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 link that connection was super mm-hmm. insightful to see the um, the ways in which the idea of becoming what we worship being mm-hmm. thoroughly biblical. Yes. Um, yes. And, and that being kind of example number one. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so I don't know. There's there's something of like if you worship this lifeless created object, you will become a lifeless mm-hmm. created like. Object that that isn't really yeah, doing that has anything. no life in it. Yeah. Um, so just that the simple kind of image of that was helpful. So when you I think thought. about when you think about how uh, constantly in the scriptures Jesus uses this a lot in his ministry, uh, and Paul uses it a lot. Uh, the idea of God talking about the the hardening and the blinding and the deafening of his people, and we think, why in the world is God talking about this? That sounds so harsh. Uh, Particularly, a, a lot of that comes from Isaiah 6. That quote is used so many times in the New Testament. And we think, why, why would God... Like, that seems so harsh of God. Mm-hmm. When you think of it, uh, in the idea that the Bible shows us that we become what we worship, God has just given you over to what you want. Mm-hmm. Like, so when Paul talks about Romans 1, uh, you know, God giving them over, right, to, to what they wanted to worship in their own images rather than the, the image of, of God... It's it's God saying, okay, you want to worship a deaf, dumb, and blind thing? By giving you to this, you become deaf, dumb, and blind. Mm-hmm. Right? So <laughs> seeing it in that, you start to make sense of, of how serious idolatry is yeah. and how it's not a neutral thing right. at all in our lives. And this is why the, the, the language is so harsh towards idolatry um, in the... Uh, the commands and revelation that God gives to his people. So like in those passages that we're talking about from Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 7, I didn't get to bring this up, but it talks about how uh, when he's giving the people this command about not uh, worshiping idols, he, uh, this is Moses talking. It says, The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to Lord your God. You shall not Bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. So the Bible doesn't say just to avoid idols. It says to, to abhor them, yeah. to hate them. I think we need to recover a hatred, a biblical hatred towards the idea of idolatry and idols mm-hmm. in order to see the seriousness of what's going on with them. Yeah, and that isn't... In the same way that, like, to know or believe something in the Bible is not a a sort of cognitive exercise. To Mm -hmm. hate is not just a cognitive or emotional rejection of something. It it's something that requires action or response, right? Like, um, and so a hatred is sort of a consuming, like, renunciation of. And so that would get to, I think, the other side of maybe application from your sermon on Sunday where we, we hit, you hit on this idea of like rooting out every, every idol that we would have in our lives and in our hearts and the yes. way that Josiah, you know, rooted out the idols yes. um, in the Jewish culture of his, yes. un, under his reign and so forth. So, so that becomes a very clear, <laughs> uh, that becomes a very clear application point. And then, I mean, it, it makes sense, too, of when you hear Jesus say things like, 
when your right hand causes you to sin, mm-hmm. cut it off. Yeah. And throw it away. Or when your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw mm-hmm. it away for it's better for you to lose one of your the, the members of your body than to for your whole soul to go to hell, right? Yeah. Like the idea like there's a severity there, there's a seriousness there, mm-hmm. there's a an absolute um aggression against all that would keep us from the worship of our God. Yes. Um, and we're just so casual. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things, you, you probably missed this because this was at the end of the sermon after uh, our last song. I, I prayed this over our church, um, connected to the idea of there's the, there's the reality that God is one, that is unaffected by if we submit to that or not. Mm-hmm. Un- unaffected by our experience, right? That's a, that is a, a, a true reality of who God is before us and after us. But there's this talk in Scripture of God being one in our experience. Mm. And particularly at the end of days, God, God's oneness being the experience of the nations. Mm. So there's this wild, like I, I found this to be a wild, a wild prayer. I mean, a wild uh, verse. And I, it was my prayer all week for our church. So this is Zechariah talking uh, kind of in the last times, in the last day. And he says, this is Zechariah 12, 9. Uh, and on that day, uh, well, where did it go? <laughs> oh. It disappeared from the pages of the text. No, it's there. Of the Bible. What in the world did I do with this verse? <laughs> did you pull a Thomas Jefferson and cut it out? Did I cut it out? <laughs> I'm losing my mind right now. Oh, oh no, 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 I got it. Uh, Don't worry. You've worshipped knowledge, and now... It, I'm sorry. 14.9. I'm about to say, where did I get this verse on Sunday? What did I read out of? No, Zechariah 14. And all 14, you're knowing, you have no knowledge Zechariah of Zechariah 14.9. All right. Zechariah 14. Nine. Yes. Like I was praying this all week, last week for our church. It says, uh, this is in the last day. He's, you're loving that no, I no, just no, what I'm, boofed the Bible no, here. What I'm, what I'm thinking about is like, I so want to know what 12.9 says now. <laughs> go, ahead, go, whoa. Yeah, go ahead. Let's do 14.9 and then we'll come back to 12.9. I'm sure everyone's going and looking for themselves. <laughs> Oh, uh, he can't resist. He's uh, going to look yeah, right now. I'm getting my Bible. I don't feel like you're going to Are do you it. serious? Go ahead. Go, ahead. go 14.9. What does no, it say? No, you, you didn't hear it, so you need to hear it too. Go ahead. I'm, no, I'm listening I, to you. I'm not going to. No, you, oh, you tell goodness. everybody what 12.9 is so you can get that out of your system. <laughs> I don't even know where Zechariah Oh, my God. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. Uh, go ahead. Read. This is bad no. radio if you're not reading no, the what, passage. No, it's bad <laughs> Everything, if you're over there trying to get me and not listen to this verse. I'm not trying to get you. I said, I just, it just made me curious. I was praying for a whole church, and you're more concerned with boofing me with this verse. <laughs> it's boofing. You just made up another word. That's no, a real word. Look it up. Okay. 12-9? Yeah. This is, this is, what, what's it what, say? What's Caleb been praying over What's us? it say? <laughs> this, is not, this is not going to go well. But and he's on that do it day, anyway. I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Oh. Well, maybe that's the Bible. Amen. We got Amen. it right. Amen. <laughs> I, in my, <laughs> you're, you're pointing at me like, yeah. okay, so you weren't praying that over our church is what you're saying. I was not. Okay. Though it's in the scriptures. I'm sorry. Caleb wants me to delete all this from the podcast. 
Everyone's praying. Uh, Zechariah 14.9. 14.9. Much is more relevant. It's relevant. It says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Mm. The idea, the Lord will be one. <laughs> yes. And his name one. So there's like this idea that he is one, right, mm-hmm. in truth, in experience in the nations. It has not come. It's, it's because of the idolatry of the nations. Mm-hmm. Because the nations are not worshiping him, not submitting to him as Lord. His oneness isn't experienced. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? To me, that's similar to praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Yeah. Your kingdom come, right? Lord, yeah. let your name be one. Hmm. You know? Um, and so that's kind of like the spirit of what I've been praying for, for us. And I'm praying for the world. Right? Yeah. Lord, will you be one in our world? Well, will your great, name be one? It's the great need of the moment, yes. right? I mean... Um, like at a very simplistic level, if you look across, and I think we all do, we look at the way the world is right now and all the just heartbreaking like images that are mm-hmm. coming out of, well, whether it be, you know, what's going on in Israel and um, in Gaza and uh, with Palestinians, Hamas, Israel, all that, mm-hmm. or down to like the, the something a little closer to home in terms of proximity, like the, the shootings that happened last night. In Maine, yeah. Uh, in Maine. Um, I mean, there's still, I think as of now, there's a manhunt still going on for this mm-hmm. guy, whatever that opened fire. So w- whatever, like we've got all of this like awful, like stuff going on and we're all like, there's this non-Christian Christians alike, just this guttural, like angst of the moment of like, oh, this is so like painful. It's yes. also broken. Can this please be made right? And, and the problem is underneath all of it, and you can you can talk geopolitics and you can talk explaining all these things at all those levels, mm-hmm. but the problem is the one God is not being worshipped as yes. the one God. Yes. Amen. That's the issue. Yes. So there's this reality that the oneness of God needs to be experienced in our world, um, which it will be <laughs> in yeah. that day, yeah. right? But, but we as the people of God are calling on God to usher that in, mm-hmm. and we are part of the solution of that ushering, mm-hmm. right, of bringing about the glory of God um, amongst the nations in, our, uh, in where we live. And one of, the, one of the things that, one of the great connections of this idea of the oneness of God and God being so, in the same way after His glory, these are connected, right, being so jealous for that, mm-hmm. right, so jealous for, for that He is one and that idols should be taken down. So, like, I didn't get to do this passage on on Sunday, but in that, at the end of Deuteronomy, again, Moses, I mean, if you just read through Deuteronomy, you just see constantly, please stay away from idols. Please tear them down. They're going to come after you. Don't intermix. Don't become like the pig. Like, Moses is just, he knows it. He even says, this is going to happen, but I'm going to mm-hmm. keep warning you about it. All right? And uh, so this is Moses talking about entering the land. He says, take care lest you make, this is Deuteronomy 34, take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. And then it talks about giving your sons and daughters to to that stuff as well. So God says his name is jealous. 
Mm-hmm. Like one of his names, the one of the ways he reveals it is that he's jealous. Like mm. God is jealous. And right. he says that in the midst of tear down, don't even go near, abhor these idols around you. And again, one of the things I want to pull out on Sunday is we think that sound, if we're thinking on a human level, that sounds we're kind of self-promotion. It sounds kind of God stuck up. But if we understand... Really, God's a petty teenage girl. Yes. But if we understand that we become like we worship, like what we worship, then God's jealousy for his name and the worship of him is for his people's well-being. Right. You have to see that connection or you'll never understand why God is so jealous for his people to well, worship him. And, and it's, so if we think even back to like the fact that we've been created in the image of God, but if we become what we worship, we're created in the image of God as worshipers of God to give glory to God. And as we fulfill that creational purpose, mm-hmm. we are, we uphold and we reflect that image mm-hmm. aright. Yes. But the nature of sin and idolatry and becoming like what we worship when we worship idols mm-hmm. is we become reflective of the image of these other gods. Yes. Who, it's like we are, it, like we're created in the image of God and yet we are entering into this process of being decreated into the image of idols. Mm-hmm. And, and we're losing ourselves. We're losing our humanity. We're losing like what it means to be yes. who, we, who God created us to yes. be. Yes. I'll hang on to that, that idea of, we're losing our humanity. Because mm-hmm. when I was trying to think through this in terms of our own lives, my, my thought about, okay, when we think about the things that we idolize in our culture, all of those things to me make us impersonal in some ways. So let's try to think about like modern idols. <coughs> what is it? We're thinking about some people, right? We think, oh, this was so visible. It was so kind of primitive. Uh, so we can, in the imagery, we can think, oh, this, this, was, this was for them. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I think God gives us this imagery that really happened in history is so we would see it as so vivid, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like part of the communication is the imagery of the text of what really happened mm-hmm. so that we, we can really see what's going on in our own hearts and souls. Um, but I just want to say this before we even think about this. Like the idol worship that we're talking about still goes on all like like that in that vivid. Yeah, in forms like that. In all, all over, over the, the world. world. Like, yeah. you go to the non-Western country, like a lot of uh, third world countries and such, like this idea of thousands of, like, go go, go to India. Yeah. Like, this stuff that we're talking about, this, like, hundreds and hundreds of gods being worshipped. Or worship. go to Clarkston, where people, refugees from countries in that part of the world yeah. Yeah. are. <laughs> that, like, that sort of, like, visible idol worship that we're talking about, it's happening all over the world. I remember when I was a kid, we had a... Uh, one of my neighbors, the Indian family, wonderful family. I was We were very close with their kids. And uh, I would go over as an elementary schooler and play with their house. And their mom would have set up a shrine to their, to their gods and have food in front of it and would, and would be singing and worshiping to it every day. She'd have mm-hmm. all this stuff laid out in front of it. And, like, if, you, if you're thinking all these were, like, kind of probably poorer people or people who weren't educated, like, the dad was... The top cardiologist in India came over here and was was one of the top cardiologists in our region, in our and uh, in our region, and uh, heart surgeon for this entire area. I mean, these yeah. were very, like, very wealthy and astute people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this isn't just like a lower class thing. Like, there's entire swaths of the world that still very much operate in uh, visible idol worship. Yeah, 
and and we've simply fashioned kind of new idols in our sort of sophisticated culture we've we've found what something like we we have just found more palatable ways to do idolatry we've found veiled ways to to do it right uh, i i think it's one of the most ingenious tactics of our enemy satan mm-hmm is to, in the West, convince us that that silly stuff... Mm-hmm. Doesn't apply to us. Yes. Yeah. That we don't do... Like, d- d- this. The, one of the most clever things that the devil has ever done is to convince the West of an unsupernatural world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the other thing that's probably at some... Like, okay, so to take our worldview of non-supernatural sort mm-hmm. of in our concept, we view something like, uh, you know, a pluralistic society or pantheistic society, I should say, and paganism mm-hmm. or something yeah. like that. And like these idol, like literal physical idols, mm-hmm. we would look at a culture like that and go, well, that's sort of, um, you know, that's archaic and outdated and that's like primitive and we're beyond yes. that. Yes. Because There's nothing we, really supernatural going on there. Because we think of it as anti, like we just think of it. Here's the other thing that is worth pointing out, that behind mm-hmm. those physical idols, there are intelligent, evil, animating yes. forces yes. provoking yes. the worship of human hearts towards these yes. fake, yes. fraudulent gods. Which the, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 absolutely says that. Yeah. He clearly says that yeah. is true. So we take our, our uh, anti-supernatural worldview and we overlay that on their... Really, their sort of forms and practices. Really, and we, de- we we take all that spiritual warfare out of it. Yes. We remove it from the equation. Honestly, what it, it, it's Western colonizing in some ways of mm-hmm. of intellectual stuff that we think that we overlay on the world and yeah. say it can't be true. Yeah, um, and the Bible just has no place for that. Yeah. So, like you mentioned the other day, the on in the sermon, you mentioned like there are other. Supernatural, supernatural beings, beings and Absolutely. forces and entities at work in the world, right? And so, like, like that was true then. That is true now. And in our environment, part of the tactic is to is to sort of um, to take it out of like we're not bowing down literally before a let's say wood carved image, mm-hmm. um, but you know football stadiums on Saturdays and Sundays in the fall. Sure. The way that we uh, hurl ourselves into, uh, I mean, whatever pagan sex cults were in the first century, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, in certain ways, pales in comparison to internet pornography in terms of how rampant. And and, um, so we have our own ways of practicing very similar idolatry in just different forms. Yes. I think, so So the definition that I gave, gave it was just like, a, this wasn't fully robust or anything, but it was just like, just like, a, you don't need to, I don't need to tell you all what your idols are. Here's what an idol is. I said, an idol, an idol is something that competes with God and would hurt you if it were cast down. Yeah. Right. Very simple, but I think cuts to the heart of, yeah. of what we're talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you use that simple definition, um, I think the number one thing in in our culture that we idolize is self. Hmm. 
Like we, we immediately want to jump to, okay, how did these certain things around us, you know, how are they idols in our life? When, when I think in our culture, the self is the ultimate idol. It is the ultimate God of, of who we are. If you think about uh, a lot of our shaping over the last few 150 years or so, um, Nietzsche, very important, he says, he said that uh, if there isn't a God, if there's a God, I can't bear, I can't bear not to be him. Mm. You get what he's saying? Like, I think most of us unconsciously or consciously in the, in, in our culture tap into that in some ways. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think in a, so I would, I, I don't want to disagree in like the broad sense. Sure. But there are particular expressions of maybe of that idolatry that yes. come, and so like, like I would think of things like just just comfort, yeah, yeah. safety, mm-hmm. and health, yeah, uh, freedom. Mm-hmm. Right? These are all aspects of what yes. you're talking about in terms of their self-serving and, yeah. and whatever the indulgence of, of. But it's all about the sort of wanting. Mm, my own ease, my own, um, uh, my own affirmation, my own yes. enjoyment, it, pleasure. You're the center. It's all about individualism. Yeah. So there's a guy named Robert Bella who did a famous uh, study of American religion, particularly in postmodern times. And uh, he, there's this famous kind of interview that he that comes out of that study um, that kind of sums up a lot of what he found. It was with a, a lady named Sheila Larson. She was an older lady. And uh, when she was asked about, does she believe in God? She says, uh, quote, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic, and I can't remember the last time I went to church. But my faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism, <laughs> just my own little voice. <laughs> I think a lot of people unconsciously, that's them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But then there's like, you know, the way you defined it of like, if we wanted to, it wouldn't be hard to go, hey, do we tinker with some physical idols? Mm -hmm. Maybe we didn't hand carve them ourselves, but like, you're going to tell me if like something that is, how did you describe it? More important than God and that would hurt. If it competes with God and if it hurts if it were cast down. Competes with God and would hurt if it was cast down. Okay. Anybody ready to get rid of their phone? Yeah. Like all together? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or their TV? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think there are things that like we would, we would be like, well, a phone's not an idol. It's just a useful tool that I, it's like, yeah, try to like, you could certainly live and get by without a phone, certainly without a smartphone and all the trinkets and apps and things that we have accessible, but could we get rid of it and be okay? Like with just a phone that could call and text, like the answer is, yeah, we could survive that, but most of us don't want the pain of breaking away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We, we, we're willing to sacrifice to these gods. Yeah. Yeah, you'll sacrifice uh, connection with your spouse, engagement with your kids in order to, you know, watch sports, look at TikTok, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. surf on YouTube, listen to another podcast, whatever it is. Like, we all struggle with this. Yeah. Um, that we'll make real sacrifices. Yes. To, yes. And again, like, I'm saying, th- none of, like, notice, I'm not saying, oh, we'll will do something sinful like watching pornography. I'm saying mm-hmm. like things that are themselves in and of themselves morally, let's say neutral. Sure. But we will sacrifice the best things in life 
that are the most important mm-hmm. for these lesser things because yeah. they're impulsively kind of what we're drawn to. Yeah. Oh, oh, and in some of these things, especially some of the even more sinister things in our culture, we think they are absolutely necessary and, and constitute like how life works. Kind of like we think, kind of like how the I am, yeah. the only absolute thing in the universe, uh, is supposed to operate. So I remember N.T. Wright one time hearing them talk, and he talked about the connection between Greco-Roman idolatry and idolatry today. He talked about how, like in, in Greco-Roman times, like the, the three most active and like uh, vivid gods who were at work in that system were uh, you had the god of power and war, Mars. You had uh, the god of, of money, Mammon. And you had the god of sex, Aphrodite. And he said, so if those are the most active gods and kind of constituting everything going on in Greco-Roman times, when you look at our postmodern times, who are the three mo- what were the three most powerful messages of the three most powerful thinkers in postmodern times? You think about Nietzsche. What is his thing? Everything is power. Everything, like the ultimate thing underneath everything that, that drives everything, power. You think about Karl Marx. What is everything? Economics. Economics constitutes and drives everything. It's the ultimate thing in the universe. You think about uh, Sigmund Freud. What is what constitutes everything? What at the bottom of everything? What drives everything? Sex. Sex is everything. So are our gods very much different in terms of what we think actually is underneath everything that's driving the world and what is absolutely necessary for making any progress or actually doing anything? And when you look at the let's say societal and cultural upheaval of our of our moment what are they what are all the conflicts largely centered around power money sex yeah i mean like think about the lgbtq revolution yes. is uh, obviously a sex kind of driven how many how many children have we sacrificed to the god of sex in this country i mean untold abortion. millions untold millions yeah how many people around the world through some through serious injustices um, from an economic level have just been flattened. Oh, sure. How many people have just been destroyed by wars of, of men and countries who just wanted to make a name for themselves and have power yeah. and be the uberman, as mm-hmm. Nietzsche said? Yeah. Right? Like, these are the things that we will sacrifice to yeah. as a world. Yeah. And, and all the, the, the current movements of our day are centered around areas contending over uh, power, whether it be of individuals or classes that are pressing power and those under that oppression or whatever, it will be over economic disparities and it will be over um, sexual liberation. Like these are all, these are the major things. We will make sacrifices for what we think those things, for for those things we think are the ultimate and necessary realities. Mm -hmm. Like even, like think about our politics right now. If you don't think idolatry exists in politics <laughs> and where where we are, you you you, you haven't watched what's going on. Mm-hmm. Both sides, you know, I'm not taking sides, but I, like I was thinking about this, preaching the golden calf stuff. I saw, and I read some articles on this. I didn't do it on Sunday. I'll say it here. I don't care. <laughs> and James can walk it back if he wants. <laughs> I. This was maybe a year or two ago at the CPAC, you know, the big conservative uh, Republican uh, fundraising. Yeah, huge. It's like the the thing. Political action. A huge 
golden statue of Donald Trump. I'm, th- I'm, this is not real. You, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm not making this up. A huge golden statue of Donald Trump with a scepter in his hand. I'm not, this isn't about who you voted for or anything like that. That's not what we're doing here. But if you don't think idolatry exists in our politics, there's a golden calf at our biggest. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, I think both sides of for gener- like for years, for my lifetime, use messianic language and imagery kind of stuff around their candidate. Yeah. Of like, I think that's been ramped up yeah. in the last couple of years. For in sure. A way. For sure. Yeah. There's that a, is. Uh, there's an absolute like devotion to certain like to a figure to a party to a like these different ideologies or whatever. Yes. Yes. And so you think about these things: power, money, sex. I, my, what I went back to earlier. I think they if we were act, asking well, how do we become like we worship, those things are so impersonal. Power doesn't care about people. Money doesn't care about people. Sex doesn't care about people. These are very impersonal in the way they're being presented. They're, it's very, they're very impersonal things. I think when those things become what we worship, we become very impersonal people. Mm-hmm. We become people who actually don't care about others. We just care about the power, power games. We become people who don't, actually don't care about uh, uh, the flourishing of others. We just care about getting our own in our economic status and our, in our careers. Yeah, but we when be- we think about when we, when we worship sex, we become people who can only see the opposite sex uh, for a lot of us. Maybe some people who struggle with homosexuality, they only see people as, as meat to be enjoyed. Yeah. Like we become impersonal because of the idols that we worship are impersonal. Yeah. We become consumers. We become utilitarian. We become exploitative and yes, predatory. That's a, yes. Like yes. that's, that's what you become if you worship these things. Yes. Um, so e- even like, so uh, you, you yourself become less human and you make everyone around you less human yeah. in the way you treat them. Yeah. If you guys want a good book on thinking through some of this, I haven't read it all, but it was, it was just really good to think through some of it, was Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. He does a really good job trying to do a lot of this stuff in terms of thinking through applications in our, in our modern society. And he even talks about, like, achievement, right, as a huge, like, that was his thing. A lot. Of, he talked a lot about that in his context yeah. of, like, career and achievement and, and, and identity and those things being something we will sacrifice on the altar. I have read all of that book. Have you? Yeah. Okay. Sure. I haven't read I mean, a long I've read, time ago. I've read a, li- a good portion, yeah. but I just haven't read the whole thing. Yeah, so. a long time ago. But yeah, it's a great book. He has this quote in it, it. Uh, that he says, this is from Mary Bell. He says, achievement is the alcohol of our time. These days, the best people don't abuse alcohol. They abuse their lives. I think that's true. But people don't go to rehab for abusing their lives. <laughs> you know? No, they just keep doing it. Yeah, they just, and, and they get awards for it. They get a lot of money for it. Yeah. Right. He says, one sign that you've made success an idol is the false sense of security it brings. The poor and the marginalized expect suffering. They know that life on this earth is nasty, brutish, and short. Successful people are much more shocked and overwhelmed by troubles. I've often heard people from the upper echelon say, life isn't supposed to be this this way when they face tragedy. I've never heard this language among the working class and poor. This false sense of security comes from denying, from fr- comes from deifying our achievement and expecting it to keep us safe from the troubles of life when only God can. Mm-hmm. I think that is so true. Yeah. That, like he's saying, we think if we get to a amount of achievement, that somehow secures for us an ease of life, an escape from suffering 
that by our achievement, we've protected ourselves from those things in the same way, like in the same way a God does. Yeah. Right. Like we think that's how the logic of, of this God works of achievement. Yeah. And he's saying poor people don't say that. They know that they know that's not true. Yeah, they know it's garbage. You know, um, that's a really helpful insight. I think some of us could probably, I, I think I think that sometimes. Oh, sure. You know? If I'm responsible with my money, if I work super hard and make a name for myself and secure some, you know, some capital to have, you know, security that I could, you know, have a career moving forward. If You know, it's like we all think if we build that achievement in that we will secure our well-being for us and our families. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I hate to talk in this sort of like language of like trying to, con- I, I don't want to, you know, condemn everybody, you know, wholesale, but... I mean, I think if we grow up, if we've grown up in our environment or lived very long in our, mm-hmm. in, in our culture, y- you have to start with the assumption that the cultural idol- idolatry that we've mentioned, things like comfort, ease, achievement, sex, power, money, like if you don't think these things are warring in very profound ways for your heart and probably, probably have won <laughs> considerable battles over mm-hmm. your heart, not just over the years, but even right now in real time, like... These these are relentless things coming for our hearts, mm-hmm. and they are the air that we breathe. They are they are worshipped in our. I mean, in a way, you could say we are a pluralistic and pantheistic society. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, and and almost everybody's worshiping these idols, and to think that that we've rooted them out completely mm-hmm. and we have no danger of them making their way back into our lives is that's foolishness at best. That's um, just idolatry. That's much more skilled. <laughs> so I, I like, that's where I kind of think like, man, th- this stuff is so, um, it's made such, such inroads into our lives and we've made such peace with things residing in us that are actually working so violently against our own flourishing and our own, um, our own humanity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, that, that sort of takes me back to this imagery of like, man, like I think sometimes we play this game of, we don't want to be too extreme. Yeah. We don't want to be those people. Yeah. Air quotes around that. Like whoever we think of as those people. So, we don't want to be too radical in what we do. Mm-hmm. Like, so when we think about, okay, well, yeah, I struggle with those idols, but I don't, I don't think I like, you know, Jesus says, don't cut off your, or cut off your arm and throw it away or mm-hmm. gouge out your eye. But like, we always go, I mean, he's not saying do that literally. His point is to just deal aggressively and decisively with mm-hmm. these things and root them out. And, and fair enough, like that's probably what he's saying. But like, I think our problem is never, it, I, I just don't know many people who are like, I think that person's going too far to 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 root yeah, their yeah. idols out of their heart. Yeah. Our problem is overwhelmingly not yeah. going nearly far enough. Yeah. Can you overhate idols? <laughs> I I don't see any evidence of that. You could become self-righteous as a form of idolatry. Mm-hmm. And that might be something akin to <laughs> you know what we would think of as overhating something, sure. I don't know. But but I so when I think about, you know, the ones we've listed, achievement, mm-hmm. comfort, Freedom, pleasure, uh, power, yeah, wealth, and and these self. So, self like yeah, all of these things. I'm overwhelmingly making peace with them far more than I'm making war on them. Mm. Yes, 
and that's and those, th- there's no there's no third option there. That's troubling. To there's me. either peace or there's yeah. making war. Like I have to admit that I have yeah. to admit that I'm far more prone to making peace than war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To find like, and I don't what I what I don't mean is hurling myself over to that idol. What I mean is, um, I kind of try to domesticate it. Yes. And I kind of work it into and order it in my life in not too great a proportion so that I can manage it. Yeah. But it's still... You, you try I, to work it into, like, it's syncretism. Yeah. Yeah. A big problem in Israel. Yes. A huge yeah, problem in I'm, Israel. I'm wanting to have my worship and following of Jesus alongside those other things we've mentioned. Yeah. And I'm trying to incorporate them into one harmonious way of suburban Western American life. Like, yeah. And it's like, yeah, these are not compatible. Yeah. That's hard to that's hard to talk about because I'm not sure what the lengths are to which we should be going that we're not willing to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I say that I'm yeah I'm the person at the head of that line. Yeah, yeah. So let's try to think about for a second some steps forward. Now let me preface that with I have been preaching some really heavy stuff for the last few weeks. Appreciate like, that. Yeah, <laughs> like the the otherness of God and how He's so other that we can't approach Him without a mediator. The uh, the like the totality of God's glory and how we've fallen so short of actually centering that as our life, the the centrality of His oneness that roots out all idols and the need for rooting out all idols, and uh, I preached a lot of law. The next couple of weeks in these sermons is like through the doctrine of God, God actually rescuing us from those things that we have the last three weeks seen we cannot do on our own. Mm. Like, so I'm, I'm impressed with that because, like, I'm going there in the next two weeks. Like, this is the, this is why it's been so heavy the, the last couple of weeks. Um, go ahead. I, well, and I just, I, like, when I, when I say that, I feel, I feel like the intensity and the weightiness of, like, oh, mm-hmm. there are, I have made peace with, let's say, moderate to minimal kinds of idolatry smattered throughout my life. Sure. Right? Where they're just sort of lightly integrated within. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about rooting out and there's a law component, to like oh, you've got to make war on this thing, yeah. all that. Like, it, here's, the, here's the truth. Even in the heaviness of that, even in the sort of feel, felt demandingness of that, like, uh-huh. here's the truth. It's like, Why? What's yeah. the why? Yeah. It's not because God's like wanting to be, you know, a wet blanket. Mm-hmm. He's actually like, we're settling. Like Christ- yes. our, our life with God, our Christianity is not settling for some mediocre existence. Mm-hmm. That is not what God has yeah. made a way for us into. And that's yeah. not what he's trying to impose on us yes. or invite us into. Yes. He's actually created us for God incredible things and glorious things and fullness of joy mm-hmm. and deep fellowship and uh, like total aliveness. Mm-hmm. And he's created us for beauty and for pleasure and for joy, all these things. Yeah. And we're missing out on it because of these, because of this idolatry. We're yeah. missing out on the, the, the best things that God has. Yeah. And the, the, like the, uh, what's the word? It, well, just the riches of his glory. Yes. It goes back to what we fundamentally believe about our anthropology. Mm-hmm. Do we believe that God has the ultimate vision for human flourishing or that we have that? Mm-hmm. We believe he designs what actually makes 
fullness of life or do yeah. we? That's a that's a line in the sand. Yeah, it's a really big. Like you don't get that right, you'll never you, you'll never get it. Yeah, if that's not a truth that you have not just accepted but actually believe and like bank your life on, this one this is this is a waste of time. Yeah. All right. So just so the the scripture that I that I threw out at the end of the sermon um, this past Sunday was was this from First John, which I think. John is talking to his children like Moses was his. I wish I could have done some of that. But he says, 1 John 5, 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John's trying to give us a fuller revelation of who this one God is. And he says the understanding of, of who God is in Christ and that we are in that God who is in Christ actually gives us eternal life. Like the, the resources for dealing with idolatry and false views of many gods is found in the ultimate revelation, the understanding of who this God is in Christ, mm-hmm. and that by faith and repentance we are in this God who is in Christ. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make a connection there between re- you, you cannot love what you do not know. I didn't say that. First person I ever heard that say that was Jen Wilkin. I don't know where she got it from. I'm sure she got it. I bet she got it from R.C. Sproul. <laughs> she steals a lot of stuff from R.C. Sproul. <laughs> love her, but she does. She says it too. She knows it. Without crediting? Huh? No, she always, she's like, she's always <laughs> talking about how so she's always indebted to R.C.'s pro. Um, but, like, this is why spending time thinking about who God is, understanding who God is, r- receiving and dwelling on who God is in Christ is, like, foundational mm-hmm. for any change in our life, for any, any new light that sheds a kind of light on the darkness of idolatry. So I, I, don't, I don't really want to do a ton there because I want to talk about it over the next couple of weeks <laughs> on Sunday. Um, but like, this is the purpose of thinking about who God is, centering on like, who God is, particularly as we move closer to who God is in Christ. Uh, that understanding sheds light. It, it has the effect of bringing light on the idolatry that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I mean I, I think it's a I think it's a worthwhile exercise for us to think through what are what are the particular idols we're most vulnerable to? Mm-hmm. What are the sort of conduits for that idolatry yeah. for us? So that might be the combination of let's say uh, I don't know. That might be the combination of like money or greed or, mm-hmm. or financial wealth security being yeah. something of an idol and the conduit for that being um, something of a, a sort of, <laughs> I don't know, uh, big time savings goals, let's say. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um what would be a way to combat that idol for a season yeah. and just yeah. sort of see what happens? Yeah. Would it be to 
to, to, to practice an extravagant amount of generosity for a time. Yeah. What would it be like to take something like ease, escapism, comfortability, that kind of thing? What about, what about if you just deleted every app from your phone or mm-hmm. got a dumb phone for a couple months and yeah. just see what happens? Like, yeah. I just want, cause like to me, some of the difficulty with the idolatry is again, idols tend to be good things gone to uh, excess more than they're always like bad things in and of themselves. So one of the ways that I think makes it hard is like we can, we can make a case for things in our lives because of their youthful sure. usefulness or their necessity even and that sure. kind of thing. So like, um, you, you know, you could be a workaholic and have achievement in your job and something like that. And be, be given a ton of money to this church. Yeah, be an idol. And you could have that be, you know, something that you're worshiping. And mm-hmm. it's not like you need to quit your job necessarily. Mm-hmm. But what does it look like to root out yeah. that sort of... Um, you know, because you have to work still. You yeah. do have to provide. You yeah. have to make money. So, man, so how this much gets idolatry? How much idolatry in people's lives has kept them from hearing the call of God for them to go be missionaries? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So I, that's what I want to just encourage us to wrestle with. Like, what's something, maybe one concrete thing that you need to go, man? For a time, I need to cut this off. I need to cut off my right arm, mm-hmm. and. And see what happens as a result. Yeah. See what emerges from that. See what clarifies as a yeah. result of that. It may be that you're steeped in a kind of idolatry you don't even realize is that because you've just, again, made such peace with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've integrated it so thoroughly into your life syncretistically with yeah. <laughs> with your worship of God. So, like, man, um, I, I, I don't know how to explore that, you know, on the individual level with people, but I think that's work worth doing and thinking through and praying through ourselves. An application I would have loved to have time to to do on Sunday is thinking through, you know, in Deuteronomy 6, that centrality of God is one. You love him with all your heart, soul, and might. And then the the emphasis on transmitting that to the kids, you Mm -hmm. know, in the rest of the passage. And just like the, the, like the whole life, the family has to be integrated with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when you think about that in light of with Josiah, like when it's just exhausting all of the ways he rooted out idolatry, mm-hmm. that little note at the end about even the household gods, mm-hmm. even the little the little household god, he was going house to house, yeah. like man, in our houses, do we us. do we have some household gods that are that are actually causing our family, our children, to grow up in ways in which they do not remember the Lord. And in which, like, there's these unconscious or conscious household idols that that probably some of your kids know it's an idol in your life, but maybe you don't. Or maybe know the effects of it in ways Mm -hmm. that you don't. Yeah, you might have kids old enough where it'd be worth asking them, hey, what do you think the idols are in my life? Yeah. Some of our parents might need to ask that question. I've got kids old enough that could answer that probably. Yeah. Um, I, I think too, you know, I mean, as you're saying that I'm thinking how many of us are essentially discipling our kids into idolatry unwittingly, Mm. you know, instead of discipling them into worship of Jesus. Yes. And maybe we do that. We take them to church. Maybe we read our Bible. Maybe we, maybe Mm -hmm. we sing worship music. Maybe, you know, there's ways that we disciple them to Jesus, but alongside of that, um, 
we're we're teaching them and helping them develop the practices of you know entertaining themselves to death. Yes. Or like, how many of us need to turn off the internet, the Wi-Fi in our house for reliance on how to function? How many of us have have had, or maybe some kids, maybe you're this person and your kids see this, man, when mom or dad get home, they, they've got to have a couple beers before they go to bed. Yeah. They've, yeah. Like, it's like, they've got to, mm-hmm. you know, um, or man, I, I, yeah, I know what, or, or it might be, a beer. it might be dad can't go to, go to sleep without having that bowl of ice cream or dessert. Sure. Right. Sure, I mean, sure. like, who knows? Like, mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. kinds of things. There's yeah. there's so many ways that this kind of works itself into our lives, and um, it does make me concerned for the next generation yeah. and how normalized we might be making yeah. idolatry within yeah. their experience of a Christian home. Yeah. So these negative negative effects of idolatry also show a, a neglect of the discipling of our kids in the Lord. You, you know, like, I, I don't know and how like, to make that connection, but there's a connection there. Like this connection between, between a lack of discipleship and a, and like, well, an I, unconscious discipleship in the, in I was about to say, idolatry. I just stumbled into that myself to say basically that if we're not discipling our kids faithfully to Jesus, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean we're not discipling them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it just means we're yes. discipling them into something else. Yes. And, so we're all doing discipleship in our families. And, and a lot of us, that's that's what our parents did that's what they sure. that's what the generation before like this is a this is a just like in Israel this is a generational thing mm-hmm. that has become so normalized yeah that it's easy for us to sit around and and idolize tv shows together but it's 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 strange for us to sit down and open the bible and like talk about what's going on with our life with yeah. the lord like that's the weirdest thing. like that was the picture i had in my head when i'm thinking about Josiah and bringing out all the families to the Passover, and they haven't seen it in generations. Yeah. Like, they, like, these kids have never seen this. The parents probably had never even seen it. Like, this was yeah. the most weirdest thing they've ever done. They're like, what is going on here? Like, and the shame of that, yeah. the shame of that experience and how unnatural that was. But that could become a normal, natural, like, this is the air we breathe with one generation switch. Yeah. How many of us have had parents... Uh, I'm not talking about myself, but a lot of people have have had situations like this where, like, you grew up in a home where your parents never even told you they loved you. Like, talking about the Lord, like, giving you a hug. (laughs) And some of us have kids now who our kids, the dads hug them and love them and kiss them and, and like, and they know nothing of that. Mm -hmm. What was so hard for you yeah. Is now something that they, 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 they don't even, it's not even close, right. right? What does that look like in our life with the Lord for our families yeah. of things that were so awkward, so hard, so things that we, we even have a hard, hard time with our spouses because we never saw it modeled, but can become the air we, that our kids breathe. Like, yeah. you, like one generation can change that. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm thinking about, you know, that famous John Calvin line of like, our the human heart is a factory of idols or whatever. Yeah where we can just produce idol idolatry out of nothing. But like, you know what else is true? The world is a factory of idols. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm just thinking about like, what would Josiah, if he was king of Norcross and mm-hmm. he was rooting out the idols, yeah. the household idols in our, in our own community. I'm kind of wondering what would Josiah come in and what would my house look like after how much stuff would be left? Yeah. Like, you know, 
TVs, computers, like what the like my smoker. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The like how many couches is he getting? I don't know. Like what is Josiah getting rid of in my house? That's a it's just something I'm like, man. It's like it's convicting yeah. and it's a little yeah. it's a little but ominous. Here, it, Josiah should not have to have done that for people's families. Right. Yeah. The leaders of those families. Yeah. Should have done the that. fathers of those families. Yeah. There should have been no household gods in those houses. Right. And like that's a that's a challenge to us. Yeah. That's a challenge to us. Yeah, it is. Um another lighthearted episode of weekday yeah. worship. All right, but here here's the here's the <laughs> here's the catch. Right? I'm gonna leave it for the next couple Sundays. I said that Josiah as 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 on fire as he was at rooting out external idolatry. He yeah. literally tore it all out. Yeah. Like it, the Bible wants to make that completely clear. Like all of the external idolatry was slapped away by uh, by uh, Josiah, but he could not deal with the internal idolatry. Right? Couldn't deal with it. And that's yeah. that is the story of Israel in the Book of Kings. You get to the Book of like Josiah, he dies. They go right back to it. They get carried off in the exile. The their last king gets his eyes jabbed out. His son's killed, and he's taken off to exile. The big point is that they couldn't they couldn't circumcise their own hearts. Mm-hmm. the 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 work of rooting out internal idolatry they couldn't do that themselves. They needed a better king for that, mm-hmm. who had a better weapon. Yeah, and uh, and and I hope looking at that through the doctrine of God and the narrative of Scripture over the next few weeks can, like... I hope the last few weeks have kind of weighed on you, like, there's a lot here that's, like, I can't do. <laughs> and there's yeah. a lot being exposed. What do I do about it? The story of God is what we're about to see. That's yeah, something about and, it. And listen, there's a place for... Certainly, within Christianity, for joy, for lightness of heart, mm-hmm. for... Even what you might think of as frivolity or whatever, like there's absolutely that, right, but but those things come out of a having thought deeply about things, having considered our lives seriously before the Lord. We need to feel the weight, it, like the yeah. Happiness. So so there's the only way we can really have the sort of lightness and joy and and um, I don't know the the, the sort of. Um, our lifted spirits and like excitement about the things of God and, and, and all that, like those who've been forgiven much. Yeah. Like we've got to take our sin seriously. We've got to take our idolatry seriously. We've got to take God seriously. And if we will do all of those things, then we can stop taking ourselves so dang seriously mm-hmm. and we can rejoice in him and, and we can find life in him and we can be fulfilled and satisfied in him um, and we can actually start to get our lives back and become more fully human because we've we're turning away from that which robs us of our humanity, and we're turning our faces towards Him who created us in His image. Yeah, and yeah. that's what we're after. Yeah. Well, I hope this stimulated some conversation in your own mind, or maybe in your own house, or maybe amongst your friends, maybe a community group or your cohort, or uh, just around the idea of. What does idolatry look like in your life? And what are the ways your idols are forming you into their image? Yeah. Um, maybe think about that. Maybe have some good conversations about that this week. 
and uh, hopefully that stimulates yeah, the we, next few messages. I just, and for I think you. about Pastor John, right? Like here, the Apostle John saying, yeah. ending his letter that way. Keep yourself from idols. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, we will see you next week. Yeah.